0: They just changed letters. All right, good to be here with you all again this morning. Those watching online, and those, it's packed in here today. All eight of you. Some courage to be here. So, any jokes I tell, I expect to hear a laugh or two more than the previous weeks. We are at capacity today. All 10 of us in here. So, I'm talking about thank you, COVID. All right, so we are in a series, a brief mini-series. This is part two of the series called Don't Forget Your Sword. Now, this is how the Lord works. Didn't plan on this at all. So we did this series last week. The Bible talks about the Bible as a sword. We looked at a couple passages that highlight the Bible being a sword. And then last week, one day, my family decided we were going to watch Mulan, the live version, the, the the movie version, not the cartoon. And so we're watching Mulan, and the whole movie is about swords. I mean, the movie isn't about swords, but the weapon of choice was swords. And so we're watching just incredible artistry. It was like these people were Zorro before Zorro existed. And you see just in reality the... The effect of someone who knows how to use their sword. Now, obviously, it's a movie, but the effect of her being able from practice to use a sword saved the entire kingdom. And even though it's just a movie, it, it, there's something about a sword and a person who knows how to use a sword that makes them powerful. So it's no coincidence that the Bible describes the Bible as a sword of one of many things. But it is a primary choice of description. Now, we looked at that last week. We won't jump into that as much this week. But last week in the message, about towards the second half, I made this statement. I said, now we have entered into the room with the psalmist. And it was when I read these two verses from Psalm 119, Last week, I read verses 5 and 6, and I said, we have now entered the room with the psalmist. And here were the words that I read that the psalmist communicated that I said, we have entered the room. And then it was verses 5 and 6, and the psalmist said this. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. Now, the point of this sermon last week, I said we are walking into the room with the psalmist because if we're being honest, which we should always be, most of us identify with our failures as Christians than our victories. In fact, it almost seems, as a Christian, more humble To acknowledge my weaknesses and where I failed and the ways that I have honored and glorified God by the victories that I have. And so in this particular two verses, I feel like this could describe how many of us feel. Is that we're not as committed to the word and sometimes we feel ashamed. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we are still in the room with the psalmist. We didn't leave. We entered in, but we have yet to walk out. And today we're going to look at eight more verses, verses 9 through 16 of Psalm 119. And the purpose, the purpose of this is to see that the words in the psalmist will resonate with ours. We want we want what the psalmist is saying to resonate with our words. And when our words are not what they should be, may his words replace the ones that we're using. So let's read Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, and then I'll explain sort of how we're going to walk through this passage, how we're going to zoom in. Beginning in verse 9, it says this, and I quote, and you should have this on your screen. If you're not, then Mike's not doing his job. we will fire him. I'm kidding, sort of. Verse 9, and I quote, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. And finally, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. There are seven words in this section that we're going to look at. So we're going to stay in the room with the psalmist. We're going to look at these seven words in particular so they can help us gauge how are we handling the sword. Ideally, ideally we would have all of these seven attributes, ideally. But that's not realistic. But it should never be said about us that we have none of these attributes. So while we may not have all seven of these, it should never be said that we have none of them. These are seven attributes that will help us wield the sword better. Let's pray. Father, your word was created by you for us. These verses written thousands of years ago, they resonate with us because as we read last week from Hebrews 4, that your word can penetrate soul, spirit, bone, and marrow. It reveals the intentions of the heart. And because it comes from you, this book is timeless. This book has transcended every culture since it's been written. And we pray that it would, it would resonate with us today. It's an old, old, old word. But may it come with new, 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 fresh affection. For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, seven words, seven attributes that will help us wield the sword better. First one, verse nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. First attribute is keep. It's keep. In this verse, there are two different ways that keeping is described. So there's two kinds of keep. So he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? That keep is talking about, in context, to be free from immorality and sin. So how can I be, so it's almost like saying, how can a young man be free from immorality and keep his way pure? That's essentially what he's saying. And the second way, when it says by keeping your word, that keep is to watch preserve, to guard, to be secured. So you got one that says, how do we keep free from sin and morality? And the other keep is saying, how do I watch? How do I preserve? How do I guard? How do I secure? So in other words, it'd be like just saying, how can a young man be free from immorality and sin and be, and be pure? By watching, preserving, guarding, and securing your word. Those are the two keeps that this passage is describing. Now, this seems like a random statement because coming off of verse 8, he talks about never abandon me. Please don't abandon me. So it's not clear if the psalmist is thinking that his impurities will lead God to abandon him. So it, it seems random, but it's actually making a significant claim, particularly in these verses. This is the only verse that's describing in many ways the morality of the individual. And he's talking about purity. Purity. And they say, how can a young man keep his way? Pure, obviously not meaning just men, but people. And here's what he's getting at. The battle for purity is an immediate, intense pleasure. So what he's asking is, how can someone resist the immediate, intense pleasure right now that's not from you, for an immediate intense pleasure that will be greater later. That's because of you. It's the pleasure by sight versus the pleasure by faith. And this is a hard one on many levels. Because we are people who are created by God with senses, right? Sight. Sound, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. If you see dead people, you got sick senses. So there's this idea and this reality that God has created us a particular way to experience particular things. Even Jesus himself, he did not numb himself from the the pain of having a whip rip his back open. He didn't numb himself from the pain of having a crown of thorns pushed down on his head so that blood would come out. He didn't numb himself from the pain of nails going into his flesh because to be human is to experience emotion, physicality, pleasure, pain. He didn't numb himself from the desire for food. So when Satan met him in the wilderness and he was starving because he was fasting for 40 days, the first thing the enemy said was, turn these stones to bread. Because Jesus didn't remove himself from the fundamental reality of being a human being, which pain and pleasure find themselves in. The challenge, though, is what pleasure is this? And is this a good pleasure or not? So when he's asking how can a young man keep his way pure, he's talking about pleasures that are not pure from God it's difficult for someone to keep themselves away from. And he says by preserving, securing, and guarding your word. In other words, your word, the Bible, is the way that I will keep myself from giving myself over to a pleasure now that won't last to a pleasure later. And let's just be honest. Romans 621 asks an amazing question. When it says, what fruit, I'm paraphrasing, but he says this. What fruit has come of the things that you've done that you're now ashamed of? What's the fruit of giving in to pleasure now, whether it's lust, whether it's idolatry of money, whether it's relationships. What's the fruit of that when you feel guilty afterwards? That's the question in Romans. The question here is how do I avoid experiencing that guilt from the pleasure that's going to come? And he says, by keeping your word, this isn't a new reality. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 describes this. And and I'm glad that I've said this before in the sermon. This isn't new to you all, but I'm glad that Hebrews 11 says this because people don't often, believers don't often acknowledge and don't admit that sin is pleasurable. We don't acknowledge it. So it's like, why do people keep sinning if it's not beneficial? Most of the sin that we commit, almost almost all of it, no one makes us commit. It's pleasurable to have a fit of rage or to be bitter at someone or to give in to pornography. It's pleasurable. It's pleasurable to lie to someone and escape the consequences there's a pleasure connected to sin. It's pleasurable to be in a relationship with his emotion and affection, even though it's not biblical. It's pleasurable. And Christians don't do that. See, I teach my kids, no, son, the reasons why sin is difficult to resist is because it feels good at times. If the consequences of sin are what we experience before the action of it, we would never do it. If the, if the pain barometer for sin was as strong as the pleasure when we probably would resist it more. But it's the, it's the pleasure of it immediate right now versus the pleasure that I have to wait for because that's what God says will be better. But I can't imagine that. But this, oh, I've done this before and benefited from it. This is not a new Thought so the Bible understands the pleasure of sin. In fact, it describes this about Moses so in Hebrews 11. This is one of my favorite verses. This verse gave me a lot of comfort because I understand. Thank you, God, for acknowledging what my experience of sin is and what I have to fight against because it's pleasure. So he says this about Moses. Hebrews 11:25. 25, when I quote, he says this, talking about Moses, and chose to suffer with the people of God Rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. I love that statement because I, by faith, this is a a statement by faith. This is what the psalmist is getting at, even though he doesn't know it, because this is written some 1,500 years before what this was written. But what he's getting at is this. There's a fleeting pleasure of sin that I need to keep away from. And how do I do that? Your word. And he says it's about Moses. He says, Moses chose to suffer with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? Because he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Now, here's what he's saying. Moses didn't even see Christ yet. He never saw Christ in his life. Sure, he hit, God hid him behind a rock and let him see the black back of his glory. We know that. We know that he talked to him face to face, came out of Mount with two stone tablets with a serious suntan. Talk about orange man bad. His face was orange as a mug. So we understand that he saw that. But Moses hadn't seen Christ. But, but by believing in God in the Old Testament, he believing in the promises was the same as believing in Christ. Because Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. So you believe in God in the Old Testament, you believe in Christ in the New Testament, even though you won't experience his life. But he was looking forward to ahead to the reward. So I need to resist this pleasure For the pleasure that's coming. So verse 9 and 119 is saying, how do I resist this pleasure? For the pleasure that's coming, it's your word. So this first attribute is telling us there are two kinds of keep we must do. Keep away from and keep his word. So to be free from immorality and sin, we must preserve his word. Listen, he's saying if you do not use the sword... It's not gonna protect you. Next attribute, verse 10. Y'all still waking up this morning. Verse 10. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. This is a fascinating verse. So when he talks about sought, in context, he's talking about to, to, to reach something that, a, that you desire, to seek to search for. He's saying, I'm seeking you. I'm searching for you with all my heart. This is the second attribute that we're aiming for. To be people who are seeking after God with all our heart. Now, as far as we know, I think this is a biblical statement. Correct me if I'm wrong. As far as we know, the psalmist is not sinless. He's not sinless. So this statement about I seek you with all my heart Is not describing the perfection of obedience like Jesus. Like, this isn't a statement saying that I fulfilled the requirements of the Mosaic law. He's describing, though flawed, though still sinful, his heart's desire. Is that I want to seek, I sought after you, Lord, with as best as I can discern of my desires, I want to glorify you. This is an important reality because even though our obedience is flawed, pursuing God is what we still must strive to do. Flawed obedience doesn't negate no obedience, flawed obedience does not justify no obedience flawed obedience does not give us the right to say well because I am I wouldn't try that because in the parable of the talents the dude who got one and buried it because he thought man I don't know what to do with this was punished for that flawed obedience is no excuse for no obedience or for little obedience or for selective obedience now we all have our struggles and we get that we're not talking about struggle free We're not even talking about suffer free. But what he's telling us here is that even though his obedience is flawed, pursuing God is what we still strive to do. He still strives to pursue God as best as the psalmist can tell. He wants to glorify God with his life so he can communicate. Man, I'm seeking after you. I've sought you with all my heart. Sure, there are moments when he didn't, but he's making a statement of my desires here. So, in other words, he's saying this. When I saw you with all my heart, he's saying, I desire to be in your presence. I desire to be in your presence, Lord. And then he says, Don't let me wander from your commands. So he went from my desire to be in your presence to I don't desire to not be in your presence. Don't let me wander. That's how serious he's taking the sword. I don't want to wander from your presence. And a lot of of us today, we're okay with that. We sing the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But some of us are okay with wandering. Some of us are okay. And I I think because we think we have a pretty good grasp on how we're going to be. And so I can sort of control how far I'm going to go. I know I failed at this. Here's the line, and I'll stay as, I'll get as close to it as I can, but I'm not going to cross that line. That's the line. The problem is there's mud and ice right before that line. And so the closer you get, you start to get slippery. We used to say in the street, you got one foot on a grave and the other on a banana, and you slipping, fam. It applies. There are people listening right now in the room and on cam that this applies. This is applied in my life. I failed miserably playing this game of wandering because I feel like, well, I know my limitations. I ain't going to go too far, I ain't going to go too hard. The next thing you know, "Oh man." Desiring to be in the presence of the Lord and to not desiring not being in the presence of the Lord is what he's saying. He says, Don't let me wander. You see, the psalmist understands a deep connection. He understands the connection between his responsibilities and God's. He understands that. He pursues God with all my heart, and God sustains him. Don't let me wander. We pursue God, God sustains us. We keep, He keeps. We keep His word, He keeps us. We're not talking about legalism, we're talking about process. Talking about process. Not talking about earning salvation. We're talking about learning the salvation that we've received. We keep His Word, He keeps us. This isn't a new reality. This is not new. Remember when Jesus taught His disciples to pray? You know, the Psalms are considered the prayers in the New Testament, right? When they talk about the prayers, they talk about the Psalms often. The Psalms are considered the prayers and the hymns and all of that stuff. That's what they were singing. And all that. I know some churches that only sing acapella psalms, and they won't. I'd never go there. I need Tim on the guitar or something. I need something. I need Tim to sing a, a diddly. Just singing psalms is cool, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Just I'm, I'm, I'm not sanctified enough yet. But the psalms and songs and prayers were the psalms often. And so when they were were talking to Jesus, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's a crazy... Man, this is a crazy thing. These are people who prayed. You already prayed. You know how to pray. But it was something different. So they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And one of the stanzas that Jesus said, one of the words that he said, this is not new, this this idea of don't let me wander. He said this in Matthew 6.13. Here's what he said. And teaching them how to pray... And this is what Jesus said. This is what you say. This is all you got to say. He said, Don't be like the Gentiles who say a bunch of stuff as if the, the Lord already knows what you need before you ask it. So here's how you pray Our Father, water in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and so forth. And he said this And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Paraphrase, Our Old Testament way. Don't let me wander. Don't let me wander from your commands. And do not bring us in the temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because we will wander from you. And we don't want that. I want to be in your presence. And this is the, one of the big problems with contemporary Christianity. Because people don't want to be in his presence more than they receive presence. Everybody wants gifts from God, but not the gift that is God. This is why you got many Christians who can't wait to go to heaven so that they don't have any more temptation, but forget that we're supposed to go to heaven because we're going to see Jesus and be like Jesus. And that alone by itself is the price of the ticket. The price of admission, as they say. See, the scripture wants us to be in the presence of God, but what many of us want is presence from God. And if we don't get presence from God, then we can wander and not be in the presence of God, and therein lies the problem, because we forget that one of the presence that we get from God is the fact that we actually breathe. You ever ever been around? This is why I love the way when we did the testimony thing the other week, week before last. I loved it. Because if nothing else, if you felt like 2020 did nothing good for you, The fact that you're breathing, that you're able to form coherent thoughts, that you can take a deep breath and not have any problems, the fact that you can get up and make yourself breakfast and change your kid's diapers, the fact that you can cognitively think, the fact that you can look around and see and your neck not hurt, that's all the grace of God. It's not like what did he do? The fact that we breathe and live, that we can think, that we can see, that I can sit on this chair and communicate to you, 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 and you is the grace of God, even if he doesn't give me anything that I consider presence. If I never get the PS5 for my kids, that's real to me. Don't make me laugh. It's not funny. I'm mad at people who bought that thing out old dudes living with their moms and just want a new system because you're bored. Let some dads get some stuff for their kids. It's probably not helpful right now for the sermon. I'm sorry, but it's personal. See, so we always have something to thank the Lord for. It's just, a, it's just a matter of being in his presence and understanding that that, that alone is a gift or waiting to receive presents. presence. P-R-E-S E-N-C-E versus P R E S E N T S. His presence or some presence? No. The scriptures telling us to seek after the Lord with our heart. And this is what's hard to do because we want presence, not his presence. So we have to remind ourselves that the gift of God is not the presence, not the new job, not the new car, not the PS5, not a raise, not a affirmation. All these things are OK. They're good. Thank you, Lord. We praise him for those things. But the real presence is his presence. And that will be fulfilled ultimately in eternity when we die, which is why I believe we shouldn't be scared to die or experience any persecution, because when we feel that we are being in the presence of God, he said that himself. He told Saul. You're, you, why, are you, why are you persecuting my people? It Means Jesus is with the people who are persecuted. I'm talking to myself. All right, the next one. The third, the third attribute. So we got, so we got keep. It's the first attribute. Keep His word. Keep our way pure. Second attribute. Salt. We seek after the Lord. Third attribute. Verse eleven. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Third attribute treasured. Treasure. You know, what I told you about we were watching Pirates of the Caribbean as a family on Thanksgiving Day. And this idea of Jack Sparrow and the Black Pearl and the, 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 The the chest, the treasure chest, right? What does a treasure chest do? It hides all of the gold and the jewelry and the diamonds. That's the treasure. One of my favorite movies, The Goonies. Loved it. Chunk, sloth, all them dudes. Loved it. And when they finally go through the tunnels and they're going down the water slide and they come out, into this and they see this huge boat and then all of a sudden they realize that's one-eyed Willie's. He was a pirate and there's all this treasure and there's all this stuff everywhere and it was hidden because the hidden treasure means it's worth it. People hide treasure because it matters. It means something. There's a reason why you have a security on your home because what's in your home is precious. There's a reason why you lock your car doors in your neighborhood because it's precious. You don't open your door when you go on vacation and leave it open for a couple days. Why? Because it's, it's treasure in there to you. It's important to us. The things that we treasure, we don't want everybody to, we keep them, we hide them, we secure them and he's saying here, I've treasured your word because it's important. And what he means by treasure is he's saying, I've memorized your word, God. I've hid it in my heart. says, I've treasured your word in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you. I've memorized your word. I know that thing. I know how to use that sword some. And when it comes time, I'm going to use it. Because the pleasure that's immediate, that's right now, is always going to tell me to consider it. So I need your word to remind me, "Ah, this pleasure is real, but it's not right. We got to know the difference. Everything that's real isn't right. Took me a while to realize it. Just because it feels real doesn't mean that it do, is doing right. And God's going to judge you not by if it felt real, but if you did right. So we treasure the word. We memorize the word. And I tell you what, I don't know when this changed. I don't know about me and Matt. We was talking about this not too long ago. I remember there was a time where I remembered a lot of us, man, were just trying to memorize the Bible. It was like, man, we got to memorize. I'm, this is before all the technology and devices. Maybe that has something to do with it. I used to have these note cards, man, three by five index cards. I'd write verses, and I'd put them joints in. My, I, used to drive, I used to be a driver for Airborne Express. I told you all about that last week. And, and I'd, I'd put the index card sort of in the middle of, like, the speedometer or some of these other numbers. I never knew what they were anyway. As long as the car drove, I was good. And I would have the, the card right there and I would just be driving and I would look at verses. And here's how I memorize. I always memorize the first, I memorize in sections. So I memorize the first part of the verse, I make sure I get that down. Well, I always memorize where the verse is. Because I hate being like, yeah, it says somewhere in Luke that uh, I want to know where the verse is, right? If I'm going to use the sword, I got to know what kind of handle it is. What kind of sword it is, Because not every sword is good for fighting. So I would memorize where it is then I would memorize the first, the first part of it. Once I got the first part down, I would not move. I, I, wouldn't, I, I would memorize, and I could say it forwards and backwards. If I can't, I don't know it. Once I get that down, then I go to the next part. That's how I memorized my verses, and I'd be driving all day. And it was just a joy, and I remember memorizing dozens and dozens of verses. I mean, I, I think, I'm not saying this to boast. I'm just saying this because this is what happened. I, remember, I think I was at my 100th verse memorized. And I remember being excited, and I thought the Lord whispered, how many of those are you living? And I thought, oh, okay, that's, there's that. <laughs> so I just said, you know what? Let me stop memorizing verses for a while. Let me start trying to apply these bad boys. But this idea of, I, I feel like this is a lost art. I don't really hear believers talk about memorizing no more. Like, where's the treasure? Like, isn't that important? We memorize birthdays, and we will not memorize phone numbers no more because it's all in your cell phone. <laughs> Many of us would not remember. Well, no, nobody's number no more. So maybe we can't blame it on technology or sub-degree, to sub-degree. But I used to re- you memorize all these important things, you memorize projects that you got to do at your job, and different things you got to do, and you you have all this stuff, and you make lists, and you do a bunch of stuff to remember the things that are important. But the Word of God, man, it just becomes something that I just kind of work my way through, just kind of figure it out as I go along and fumble through it. Every believer should know at least ten verses. That's not legalistic. I think if you man, and, and if you think that's legalistic, then better be glad you're not in Judaism. Because they got to know the whole Old Testament, the whole book of Moses, the Torah, the Tanakh. They got to know the, the first five books of the Bible, I believe, by the time they're 13. They're, they're bar mitzvah. Now, I don't know what happens if you don't know them, if you can't be, have your bar mitzvah. I don't know how that plays out. I ain't Jewish. But the point is, it's like they had to know God's word. Jesus in Luke 12, as a human being, had to memorize his own word. We treasure the word. This is what he's saying. I treasure the word. So I want to memorize it. Why? So I don't sin against you. Because sometimes our little slogans aren't strong enough. Sometimes not wanting to hurt people is not strong enough. I need something more objective to help me. This is what he's saying. The Bible memorized, treasured, will keep me from sinning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The psalmist understands that. The psalmist understands John 17, 17, 1500 years before John 17, 17 was written, or have long. The psalmist gets that. When Jesus prayed, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth, your word is true. Remember we talked about this last week. Not your, you don't sanctify them by your, their circumstances. You don't sanctify them by all these other things. You sanctify them by your, by your word. In other words, whatever circumstances that are happening, we, we grow because of what God's word says we're supposed to do in the midst of those circumstances. We don't just get sanctified by being in a tough situation. We get sanctified by what the word of God says we're to be in that tough situation. That's how We grow. It's not, oh, man, this happened and the Lord's really using it. How? Teaching you what? Where? Where in his word are you growing with it? Jesus said sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So what does the word of God say about what you're going through, not just what are you going through? If you're just being sanctified by what you're going through without the word of God challenging you and how to grow in what you're going through, then you're being sanctified in the same way that non-Christians are, by your own strength. And I did that for years. I talk tough, but I'm saying that only because I've been fooled by my own arrogance. Distracting myself from sin, rather, I've told y'all about that. Tempted to give in to lust or something, and I'll just, or be angry, and then I'll watch a comedy to make me not feel angry, but I ain't go to the Lord and have Him deal with me. I didn't go to the Word to have Him deal with me. See, I can get over things when the Word doesn't deal with me. I can feel better eventually. My kids can come in, give me a hug and a kiss and I can laugh and tickle them. And I feel way better than I did an hour ago. But that's not the word, though. That's a means of grace. But that's not the word. I need the word to sanctify me. The psalmist understands this. I treasure your word. I memorize it It's here. So I don't sin against you. Jesus understood this. All Jesus did in the wilderness was, quote, memorize scripture to Satan. You're talking about this is the same Jesus who walked on water, casted out thousands of demons into a pig, fed five, 12,000 people, considering women and children, with five loaves and two fish, walked over a windy ocean or lake or whatever, a sea. This is the same Jesus who lit up and transfigured in front of Peter, James and John. That same Jesus who did all that supernatural work when he came face to face with the devil quoted three memorized verses to resist him. Two from Deuteronomy 8, one from Deuteronomy 6. And that narrative, Luke 4, Matthew 4. He didn't do anything supernatural except, quote, the supernatural word. That's what he did. Jesus understands this. Paul exhorted us to this. In, In Ephesians 6, we talked about this last week, Paul says this in Ephesians 6. Beginning in verse 16, he says this, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The psalmist knows this. Jesus understands this. Paul exhorts us in this. We have to now believe this. The treasuring the word in our hearts is not just to say I got 100 verses memorized. It's to say, it's to keep me from sinning against you, Father. It's to keep me from wandering away. So I don't memorize them to not use them. I memorize them to use them when I'm struggling, to remind myself of God's ways, of his laws. Because I want to be in his presence I don't, I, desire, I don't desire to not be in his presence. And I want his presence, not his presence. I want who he is, not what he gives. We must know the word of God in our hearts because it's used by the spirit to sword fight. When you know the word, then you can be Zorro, three musketeers, If you don't, you'll cut your fingers off. Remember the sons of Sceva in Acts 17? These dudes surrounded a man who was possessed by a demon. I think it was three sons. And they said, this is what they said. They didn't know the word. They didn't believe. Here's what they said to this demon. This demon possessed man, this Acts 17, go read it for yourself. This is what they say. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches about, we command you to come out of this dude. You see, they don't know the word. The word's nothing in their heart. They said whom Paul preaches. They didn't say whom we believe in. That would have been different. They said, in, in the name of God whom Paul's talking about, come out of them. They didn't really know. The, they ain't had a sword. You know what that demon said? That man said this, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard of, but who are you? And then it says he whooped all of them, and them boys ran away naked. They ran away the way they came into this world with nothing on. See, when you don't know the sword and you don't know how to use it, you ain't no good against temptation. When you don't go to the word and know how to use it, you, you may be able to fend it off for a while, but I think it's going to come back and overtake you. So it has to be the word of God that I hold on to and that I believe that this pleasure that I want right now is, is, less, is, is less. It's a fleeting pleasure, as it says about Moses, than the pleasure that's coming my way for resisting it, and there's more stacking up for us. We have, to, we have to treasure his word in our hearts. We have to memorize it. We got to know it. This is the third, the third attribute. I'm just going to make a quick mention of verse 12 because 12 isn't one of the seven attributes. It's just making a point that I thought was interesting. He says, Lord, may you be blessed. <laughs> Out of all this, he says, Lord, I want you to be blessed. This is how much he loves God. I want to make sure that you're blessed. I want you to be blessed. So, how will you be blessed if you teach me your statutes? It blesses the Lord to teach us His word, is what He's saying. The Lord is blessed when He teaches His people His word and they actually believe it and live it. When Jesus said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, He was saying, He's not impressed with people's. Verbal, commit, verbal acknowledgement, like, every, you know, what does that mean to him? He said, their hearts are far from me. He told the Pharisees, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look clean on the outside, but the inside is like bones and, and black and skeletons. The Lord is blessed when he teaches his statutes to his people when they believe him. So we keep, sought, we seek, we treasure, and then fourth, verse 13. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. So with my lips, I proclaim, so we proclaim. It's the fourth attribute. Complain, we can't say complain, which is, which is an attribute that many of us have, but we shouldn't. Proclaim. We're talking about, what does he proclaim, the judgments of your mouth? The authoritative rule of God is what he's proclaiming, the judgments from you. Two ways that we primarily do that. One, in evangelism, we're proclaiming the authoritative rule of God to other people and telling them, listen, you got to believe in Jesus. Got to believe in Jesus. We proclaim in evangelism. We're we're telling people about the message of God. You can't just tell people about the love of God and not about the law of God. You can't just tell people you got to give them the as best as you can give them give them the package. See, we tell people we focus on the love of God because that's a softer entry point. And then people think they believe in God because God loves them and they're not tripping off of God. And the Bible says a lot about people who don't know God and don't love him. And it doesn't say that he loves them, too, in the same way that we make it sound like. We get people where he's proclaiming the authoritative rule of God, the judgments. We do that in evangelism, but we also do that in what me and Mike have called discipleism. There were a couple of years where we didn't even use the word evangelism because we felt like it was misleading, because we felt like people think of evangelism as telling someone else to believe in Jesus. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says make disciples. That means you actually spend time with you invest in you show them how to live. You walk with them. Now, granted, there are moments where an opportunity shows up and we share the gospel with a person we've never met and will never meet again. But the overwhelming majority of what the Bible seems to be getting at is that people are living life together and you're making disciples. And it's not just believing in Jesus. You're making disciples that continue to believe in Jesus. See, evangelism, we think of it as just telling someone to believe in Jesus and we've we've done our job. But he's talking about ongoing relationship, proclaiming the authoritative rule of God. Now, why is this important? Because in our church, and many churches, believers don't do that. You see stuff in people that goes against the grain, and you don't say anything about it. Or you bring it to Mike and I, and then we got to jump into a situation that we don't know nothing about because we didn't see it, and we don't know. So we got to kind of make, all oh, the person gets offended, like, oh, people talking about me in the church. and then we, But we feel obligated because if this is true, we can't just sit back and let that go on. But if we, were, if we thought of discipleism as, as helping, as telling each other the authoritative rule of God, then we would think about, man, I need, to bring some, I need to bring this observation up to this person. But we're more worried about how people feel, just their personalities. Listen, if you can show me, if you can find for me, because I could be wrong, in incredible translation, if you could find for me like introvert, extrovert, and all those kind of personality traits, I'm a, a Enneagram 8 with a 9 wing, and if you can find all that stuff, cool, show me. But until then, then we got to be faithful to do what the word of God says, not how people's personalities are. And that means we have to fight through some of our own personalities to bring things up to people that we know and love because it's going to be difficult. But that's what it means to proclaim. To proclaim the, the righteous judgments of God. It's evangelism we need to tell people who don't know Jesus. And that's disciplism. We need to tell people who do know Jesus. We need to tell people you need to believe who don't know. And we need to tell people who do know you need to keep believing. That's, they're both appropriate. They're both appropriate. Proclaim. That's the fourth attribute. Fifth, and this is the first one that's more of, that seems more of an attitude. But he says this, fourteen. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. So it's rejoice. And by rejoice in the context, it's it's, it's saying I take a high degree of pleasure or mental satisfaction in you, in your word. Basically, he's saying this. When he says as much as in all riches, I love your word like people love riches. I love your word like people love being famous. I love your word like people love affirmation. I love your word like people love material things, new gadgets and trinkets. I love your word like people love their favorite shows or their favorite bands. He says, in all riches, whatever you, whatever you consider rich, he's saying, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I take great pleasure or mental satisfaction in your word. He rejoices; he rejoices that God's way is revealed in His word. Now, up to this point, much of what has been said is more action: keep, seek, uh, uh, um, proclaim. You know, treasure, these are all kind of actions, but this one rejoices the closest we get to more of an attitude. It's more of an attitude or it's actions informed by a particular attitude in response to who God is and what God says. So we rejoice. And this is a challenge for us. This is a challenge for us. Because it requires not just a duty of Right, memorizing. You can be angry and memorize. You can be upset and memorize. But rejoicing requires a sort of mental satisfaction, a, a high degree of pleasure. I am excited about your word that it tells me how to live. And man, that's just not where it's at for many of us. When we go through seasons where we feel like that, but that's just not where it's at. This is a challenge especially in something like this in COVID where you can't do much. I mean, you can't spend time with your loved ones. There's people we haven't, there's people I haven't seen without no mask on in seven months, eight months. Longer than that. This all started in March. March 22nd, March 15th was the last time there were 250 people in this room. March 22nd, there were 102 people in this room. March 29th, there were 10 and less. And then in July, we got it back up to like 60, sometimes between 40 and 60, and then I was back to 10 and under for the foreseeable future. There's people I haven't even seen in in person, and even people who come on Zoom. Half of y'all come on Zoom and don't even show your faces. You could just be logged in and not even be tripping. We wouldn't even know. We won't even see you. Man, clean your face up and show your face. Let us see you, man. We ain't seen you in ages. I'm sorry, man, get your head done, do whatever. We can't smell your breath. Come on the screen. let us see you. We can't even' I, people I haven't even seen in months. Is it that serious? You that, you that busy, you that ugly? You can, we can't see you. Ain't nobody. Listen. If I can show my face, you can show your face. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We got to rejoice. Rejoice, it's, it's, an, it's more of an attitude and actions informed by an attitude. It's in response to God's word. That's the, that's the fifth attribute. Sixth attribute, verse 15. Meditate. It says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. So by meditating, it means to, to reflect deeply on a subject or to pay close attention. This is the sixth attribute. And this is the one I think, all of them are important. I think this one is the one of the most critical. Because there's a difference between having a quiet time and reading the Bible and then meditating on it. And there are actual days that I didn't, I don't read the Bible, but there's probably never a day. We talked about this yesterday, Matt, weren't we? It's hardly a day that I'm not meditating on God's word. There may be a day I don't read it. I might, I might be like, I just don't read it. I'm not going to pretend like I read the Bible every day, all day. No, there are times that that is my case. I'm reading every day and I'm benefiting. But there are times when I, I don't read. But meditating on God's word is for me is 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 more significant because the Bible actually talks more about meditating on God's word than it talks about reading it. But you can't meditate on what you don't read, though, so they kind of go hand in hand. This is important because the secret to growth in reading the Bible is not about how much you read. It's about how much you think about what you read and then take action because of it. That's how we grow from the Bible. It's not just the, this, the, the listening to the Bible on tape if you're not a reader or reading. I read four chapters today. I read this. That's not how we grow though. Yes, the word of God is a comeback void and God can use it, re- but it's what we meditate. It's what do I think deeply about from what I've read? I spend more of my time Meditating on fewer passages than I do. Like now, if you're doing a Bible plan, like reading the Bible in a year, go get it. You just, you know what? I used to fail at those plans because I meditate too much, and so I would start reading it and I would just get stuck on a verse or two, and then I would, then I just would be like, man, I, I don't, I personally don't like to read the Bible plans. That's just me. They're good though. They're good because you know the whole Bible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything. For me personally, I just get stuck sometimes. And I spend the whole hour that I was supposed to be reading these five chapters or whatever I'm reading. I get stuck on these two verses. Meditating is significantly important. So here's what I want to do right now. I did this a little bit last week. I want to bring you into how I meditate very practically. I'm just going to ignore that you're here for a second and take a few minutes and show you. I'm going to to do it quicker than I normally would. But these are ways I meditate. So I'm in the book of John. I told you this last week. I showed you this a little bit in the, from some question in the Q&A. But I want to show you just how I meditate. So I, for, the, for the moment, I am not talking to you. I'm going to show you what I do is if I'm by myself, I just conversate with the Lord. And I'm not doing this to, to show off or try to be funny. I'm just showing you this is how I meditate. And this may be helpful and maybe not. But we have to. you have to find ways to meditate on his word. Here's how I meditate You are no longer in the room. It's just me and the Lord. All right. John. All right. John 11. Now a man was sick. Lazarus from Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. Okay, Lord, I've read this a ton of times. I know this. All right. So Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. That's interesting. Lord, I'm Okay, so you wanted us to know, Lord, that this was Mary. Okay, so we're making the connection now that this is Mary who anointed your feet. Okay. And Lazarus was, brother, this I know. So the sister sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Huh, interesting. All right, so here are people, wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on, Lord. You said, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and her sister. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he left. All right, Lord, this is what's wild to me. Here's why I think you do wild stuff, Lord. Because you're saying here that you love the... So they come to you and say the one you love is sick. So you're saying, okay, Lord, it's clear you're letting us know that you love Lazarus. I mean, they come to you and say, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's interesting. And then you say... You had it written that you loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So you love these people, and they love you. So these are people that don't love you, Lord. These are people that you're saying you love. But then when you find out that he's sick, you stay two more days in the place where you are. So this is the type of stuff that, because, Lord, you know that for them, Lazarus being sick, in fact, Lord, they wouldn't have even sent Lazarus to you, a message to you unless they were worried about him dying. So for their, from their perspective, his death is the worst thing that could happen. They know you love him, so they sent word to you, and you said, let's stay two more days where we are. That is crazy, Lord. So you stay two more days where you are. But you know they love you when you love them, that's clear. So, at the very least, the people that you know love you, Lord, and the people that you love, you're not always quick to rush to their greatest need. Huh. Okay, so it says, okay, this sickness. Okay, so you said, okay, Lord, so you said this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. So the son of God may be glorified through it. Okay. All right. So, all right, Lord. So what do you, okay, okay, okay. All right. So you're saying then that your glory is more important than their story. Because you heard that he's sick and you're saying God's going to be glorified. You're going to be glorified. So you wait two more days and then I know you showed up and he was dead four days. And these are people that you love and that you know love you. That's crazy. So you you love people. And then there are people that love you, and even though they're experiencing possibly the greatest trial of their lives, you may not act immediately for your glory. That's insane. Then you said, after a couple days, then when it was time for you to act, you said, let's go to Judea again. That is crazy. So, Lord, I need to take this seriously and think, man, there may be, there's going to be people, there may be even my own life, people that you love, that you know love you, that even though they're going through something serious and they're calling out to you, they sent messengers to you, that your glory is, is what's, it's more important than their story. Your glory is more important than my story. So even though I don't want something bad to happen, you may not show up when it's going to happen because you're going to be glorified through it somehow, even if I don't know how. And you do this to people that you love, not people that you don't. All right, Lord, this is how your sovereignty works. This is how you work. That's how I meditate. I think like that. That was much quicker than I would normally do it. But I'll just get into the passage and I'll talk to the Lord like that. And I'll try to ask questions and make connections and see what he I've read this story tons of times. But when I stop and meditate on it, I see something else. This is how I preach too. I just get into it. I'm like, man, this is crazy. We meditate on his precepts, which means we think deeply. And I'll do this, and when I do this, I'll think about this throughout the day. I'll, I'll call Mike and me, we'll be in a random conversation, and I'll be like, hey, young. So I was reading, you know, I'll, we'll just bring it up. I'll just mention something, and then he'll just start talking from the connections I was making from the time I spent with the Lord that day or the day before. And he does the same. Because when you meditate and you think about it, that's when you start to really understand. When you read it, let's be honest, many of us read the Bible, we check it off, we did it, and then we go throughout our day, and we forgot most of what we read, and it's hard to apply it six, seven hours later. Or maybe it's just me. There's a couple of people in here laughing, I think it's more than me. That's what happens when I read it, but when I meditate and I start thinking like, hold up, man, wait a minute, I got to reread this. To meditate, you got to reread a couple of times, like, hold on. I'm sorry, I need to reread this again. Wait a minute. And let me try to look for what am I not seeing? What is the Lord doing? What is he saying that surprises me? I'm trying to cultivate all here. I'm trying to be like, okay, what is mind-blowing about this passage to me? And I will search and I will look until I find something that I think, wow. I taught this passage plenty of times and I've never really pulled from it what what I just said about his sovereignty, his glory is more important than our story. That comes from just meditation. So when the psalmist is saying, listen, <clears throat> I meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I, I think deeply on the subject and I'm, I'm paying close attention. That's how we grow. That's one of the significant ways that we grow. We meditate. We think about the word, even if it's not in front of us. I can be stuck on a narrative like this for days. That doesn't mean oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't read for days, because, but I can be stuck on this. There are times I've, I've tried to read past stuff and been like, I'm sorry, man. I got to go back. Hold on, Lord. Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm not finished with this yet. You, would it, Because, the Lord, it's not about how much new information I read. It's about how much of the information I'm reading affecting me. If I only read this the rest of my life and it affected me and I was able to glorify God, then so be it. There, I don't think there's going to be rewards for how many times you read through the whole Bible. There's going to be rewards for, for how, many, how much you applied that Bible that you read. But I don't know. I'm not the Lord. He might have rewards for how many times you read through the Bible. I'm not him, obviously. Alright, last last attribute. Verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So by delight, he means I will gladden. It means to enjoy oneself. It means to be dandled. <laughs> When's the last time you used the word dandled? It means like to rub your arms and legs in an excited way. See, that could just mean being cold. See, y'all y'all cold in the story? To be dandled. It's one of those words you will not hear me use ever, even though I've used it three times already. This is very similar to rejoicing. Because you delight, you, you gladden yourself. It's ha- it sort of has an emotional component. You t- it's a high degree of pleasure. In God's word. It's a com- and then there's a commitment here. Look, I, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So there's a commitment to not forget the word in which all the other attributes hang. Delighting and rejoicing have similar impact. There's a pleasurable view of God's word. It's not necessarily a pleasurable experience. Let me, let me clarify that. Every time you read the Bible, you're not going to be blown away. The pleasure is not in, man, look at what God made me feel like as I read it. The pleasure is in, man, I get to read God's word and get to know him. And this is the word of God, I believe. And this is hard for us because we're, we're consumers. We live in a culture where there's too many other shiny, flashy things. And, and, and there's this thing about, you know how, there's a reason why most of us read a book and don't read the same book again. Now, some people do. I know some people I've read this book five, six times. I'm like, man, there's no power to you. I, don't, I mean, it's worth it to watch a movie a couple of times. But to read the same book five or six times, especially if it's a couple hundred pages, man, you need friends. Now, I mean, now you could do that, and I think that that's fine. But most of us, most people read a book, they're good with it. Unless it's, unless, unless, Unless it's educational. I need to know this. So I might go back and have to reread things to make sure I remember it. But it's about just pleasurable reading. You usually read a book, you finish it, this was a good book, and you move on to something else, typically. And I think people see the Bible that way, believers. We read it, but we just, we don't, you know, it's good, okay, good. Like I said last week, the Bible is not medicine, it's oxygen. I don't just read it when I feel bad and need to be reminded of truth. I read it because it is truth. I read it because even if I'm doing good, The fact that I'm doing good is the grace of God, too. We should always have a reason to rejoice and delight in the Lord. If for no other reason, because you can rejoice and delight in the Lord. Because you can breathe. You can see. You can smell. You can hear. You can taste. You can get up and do whatever it is that you do. Your brain actually works when it tells you to touch your head to illustrate that your brain actually works. There's always a reason it depends on how do we view things. Is it his presence, who he is? Or do we want his presence, what he gives? That's why we need these attributes. We need to keep his word. We need to seek his word. We need to treasure it. and to treasure it. We've got to memorize. We need to proclaim it. We've got to say it. Back in the day, remember, remember this back in the day, Karen, remember when they used to talk about preach the gospel to yourself? Remember that? That was, a, there was a, that was a thing for a while. Remember that? There was a period of time when you used to be like, preach the gospel to yourself. I know y'all know that. Y'all some sovereign grace folks. Y'all know about that. Preach the gospel to yourself. Tim and Bethlehem, they know about that. And what that meant was because don't listen to yourself, but te- remind yourself of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Proclaim it. Let's get back to that. Let's go back to that. Preach the gospel to myself. Let me say something. Let me proclaim something. I'm tired of hearing myself think. Let me let me talk against what I'm hearing. Let me let me say something back against all this stuff in my head. Let me say something. I'm saying something out loud. I'm not saying nothing. Sometimes there are times I pray out loud because my mind is too cluttered. It's it's I got too much. i got too much going on. So I'm like, you know what? I got to pray out loud because my mind is, is making. I'm I'm not going to let my mind get distracted because I'll start praying in quiet. Next thing you know, my doze off. Oh Man, I'm sorry, Lord. Or I just didn't. You know, I remind myself of something I want to do. I got to do. And so I'm like, I need to pray out loud. I'm praying out loud. <laughs> By God's grace, I don't have to do that all the time. But but again, there's this. That's what we need to do. We need to proclaim treasure. We need to rejoice. Rejoice, like man. You not everybody gets to believe what we believe. This is a privilege. This is a privilege. Like fam, you you're a Christian. Out of all the people in the world that don't know God or don't care about God, and it will one day be judged eternally by God, he's telling you, you can get to know me. I actually am blessed to teach you my statutes. Out of all the billions of people in the world that don't know him, and you and I have been chosen to know him, that's a privilege that comes with a responsibility. So we want to keep, we want to seek, we want to treasure his word, we want to proclaim, we want to rejoice, we want to meditate, and we want to delight. Now it may be unrealistic that we have all of these, but it should never be said about us that we have none of them. May we never not strive. This is what we're after. If you don't know how do I grow in God's word, these are the seven things that you're after. Focus on one of these, two of these, three of these. But this is what we're after for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father, no matter where we are in our walk with you, no matter where we are in our location, no matter where we are with our agreement of what was said, your word is true. And our responsibility to know your word and to pursue it, even though it's, cha- it's challenging, challenging even for pastors. It's challenging for me to kind of make my spending time with you what I'm preaching. No, I need time away from what I'm preaching. I'm not, I don't want to only read what I preach because it's not this is this is more than that. I want to rejoice and meditate. And I don't want to just teach because when I teach, I have to teach with the passion as if I've mastered it. When I'm I'm in the same boat as the people listening, I'm trying to apply it. But you just called me to do something different, which is to proclaim it to the church. But I am in the same boat because I have to keep, seek, treasure, proclaim, rejoice, meditate, and delight just like they do. I'm not exempt. None of us are. So, Father, I pray that as we, as we think about it, as we as we don't forget our sword, may we remember And Lord, help us to fight against, especially in a season of giving presence, help us to fight against the selfishness that wants presence that you give instead of the presence of who you are. I want the presence of who God is, not just the presence of what God gives. Help us to switch our, they sound the same, but they mean two different things. Help us to switch which presence we're after. And Lord, where we're confused and not knowing where to start and what to do, may these seven attributes guide us. They are here, right in your word. And if I said anything, Lord, that is not true, I pray that you would have everyone forget it. Spirit, take it from their memory. I don't want to mislead anyone, but Lord, would I, if, I, if I said something that is true, then impress it upon our memory and make it be the thing that eats at our souls. May we not be satisfied with not keeping your word or, or seeking after your word. May we not be satisfied with not treasuring, not memorizing your word. May we not be satisfied with not rejoicing, not meditating, delighting in your word. May we not be satisfied with not proclaiming, both to ourselves. Let's preach that gospel to ourselves, but let's not just preach it to ourselves. Lord, when we have opportunity, may we we preach it to others. For your glory and our good, in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kirk. Um, remember, for uh, those of you out there who may have questions, just text your questions to Eric code 240 623
0: 8076. Or not, I, and then we could just get out of here earlier. Well, we do have a couple questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking when I say that. <laughs> sort of. I'm just joking, Tammy. I'm still, don't, don't judge me, Tammy. Tammy's like the, one of the golliest in the church. You say stuff like that, you get. She might have a problem. She might correct me afterwards.
1: Um, if, um, if someone is, has gotten out of the habit of reading their word, mm. um, what, what advice would you give them as far as, like, you know, what, what's, what's a good place? Where's a good place to start?
0: Yeah, so for me personally, if I've, when I've fallen out of the habit of reading, I want to cultivate, I don't want to read laws and commands then. I stay away from those if I'm not in the habit of reading because those confront me in ways that don't make me drawn to read more. Like you ever had somebody tell you like you're you know, you're know, you're selfish and you're this and that after you hear all that the next thing you, you're not like hey you want to get something to eat together? That's the last thing you want to do right? You need some time away from that person you know. <laughs> you might have to deal with some things there. So when you read the Bible and it's confronting you, you don't, you're not going to want to read that. So I would read things that build me up that remind me of Things. I, or I would read. I personally always start with the Gospels. Like, I just, I think about what Gospel haven't I read for a while because they have a different emphasis. So right now, I'm just in John. I'm just slowly walking through the Gospel of John. And for me personally, we're, we maybe, I'm blown away by that. I'm blown away by the stuff that Jesus is saying in John. It's like watching a movie when you go through it slowly. It's like, man, how could they say that right there? I mean, I'm just, I just get. So I would start with things. First of all, ask the Lord to help you. I think we always ignore the prayer part. Mm-hmm. So I think always say, Lord, just be honest. Like, I think sometimes, <laughs> I've had to learn this over the years. Like We need to pray to the Lord like he's sovereign. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we pray to the Lord like others are in the room and we want to kind of keep where we really think and feel like he doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Mm-hmm. So just be honest and say, Lord, I just I'm not drawn to your word. I just don't have a desire to read your word. Mm-hmm. And could you help me? Like I know that that's wrong, but I just that's just where I'm at. Like, the Lord, I mean, I, He does meet us where we're at. Remember, First Second you know, Timothy two thirteen. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Like Lord, I'm just not. I haven't been fighting to read Your Word. I haven't prioritized it. I'm not like Lord, please forgive me. See that as something wrong. First of all, Lord, just help me. Lord, help me to grow in loving Your Word. Like He doesn't. The Lord doesn't. He loves to bless those kinds of prayers. So I would just pray, Lord, help me. And then start with like something like a gospel. Start with narratives. Narratives are always good. I always start. So I usually go to a gospel. Uh, Mark is the action one if you just want to get most of the action. You know, Matthew is going to be the most like kind of historical. You know, uh, uh, John is going to be, John is the slowest gospel, meaning that it doesn't, it really focuses on the end of Jesus' life. And even, as a matter of fact, verse John 12 to 21 basically focuses on like the last couple days of his life. Like the last night really. From the time they get to the upper room, he goes to the garden to, to pray and then here they come and get him. And then he's crucified. So that's really the last day. You know, 36 hours of his life. So it just depends on what you have to But I, I would go to a narrative. But I would pray first and say, Lord, I just haven't been. You don't got to be all sackcloth and ashes and trying to work up emotion and cry. Just say, Lord, I just haven't been drawn to reading your word. I just don't. I just, it's just I, I told, there were times I told the Lord, man, this is boring to me, Lord. Like, your word is boring to me sometimes, and I just don't feel like reading it. Can you help it not be boring to me? And no shame in it. Like, be honest with him because he knows you already are bored by it. So I would just be honest.
1: Would you have any, anything different you would say to someone who is not reading using a reading plan but they might be stuck on like where to go after they finish, you know, they just finished the book and they're like trying to figure out like where to go. Would you have anything different or would you take
0: the same approach you just mentioned? Uh, I mean that depends on the person, because everyone's aptitude for reading is just kind of different. So I, I don't I don't think there's a one size fits all to any of these questions. So I'm trying my best to put them in a in a in a one size fits all that you can kind of get, but there really isn't because everyone's different. There are some people who are voracious readers and some people who just can't read and can't comprehend and there's a lot of levels to it. I, oh, I think, the, so you have to set goals, right? So, well, let me just back up. Start with the seven attributes that are here. I think use the seven attributes and think, okay, don't think about reading as much. Think about what am I after? What, which one of these seven do I want to grow in? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's meditation. All right, let me find something that I want to meditate on. And I can't tell you what that is. I don't know where you're at. Maybe it's something that you're just curious about. Maybe it's something that you're struggling with and you want to see how God dealt with it I'm in the Word. So I think I would pick one of these seven attributes and say, okay, this is what I want to focus on right now. For the next couple months, I want to grow in rejoicing. That's what I'm going to focus on. And, that's what, and then you find, so then you might find, you might look in your concordance and find passages that say rejoice. And then you want to ask us, okay, why does the Bible tell me to rejoice? How does the Bible tell me to rejoice? know you want to do that or maybe it's meditate maybe it's uh uh, seek okay I want to seek okay what does it mean to you know that that's what I would do I would do things like that and kind of listen the Lord it's not like this we're not monks right we're not monks and 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 you know kept away from society where we have to read the Bible six hours a day and then do incantations and then we can't talk and we just gotta man we're just people we're just everyday people that are distracted by many things but just, just, just find just find things that you know will. And, and here's what I would say. Find a time of day and stick to it. If you do not choose a time of day where you know you can read, you will never find one. You will always make excuses for what? Find a time of day and stick to it. Even if you got to change it for a certain day, stick to it. If it's going to be 7 a.m., Stick to it. If it's 9.37 p.m., stick to it. Commit yourself to that, and you'll grow, guaranteed. But if you don't have, if it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to read some time at night later on, pff, you know what's going to happen? But You're going to be tired. Look, isn't it funny how we don't got to pretty much go nowhere because not everyone, there are people that do, so don't be mad at me when I say this. But a lot of us don't leave, don't go to work, don't do nothing, except, you know, we even have groceries delivered at this point, right? We do, we do a lot, but we're even just as tired or more tired you be at home all day, working. you know why? Because if you're home and you're working on a computer, that's just, that screen is just like, that thing is like a tractor beam mentally. It's just like, man, you're just mentally tired. That might be why some of y'all don't show your face and by the time we get to one another, you just might have been on a screen all day. If it's, just, if it's not that, just clean yourself up, you be on.
1: Right.
0: No one's judging you. Some people just look better than others, and that's just reality. But I'm saying like there's you've got, you got to find a time. If you don't, it'll be, hard to make, it'll be hard to do one day to day. I would not make something as important as God's word be something you just decide each day you're going to do. I would have that time because the times that I don't, I'm not as faithful. I just figure, I'm a read, I just figure it out as it goes along. I need, I need to revolve everything else around reading God's word instead of adding God to, to revolve around what I feel like I need to do. That's what I would do.
1: All right, thank you. Um, Do you have any tips for meditating on verses with someone else like your spouse or a close friend?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, it's funny because actually spouses, it's funny because you, this is actually a common occurrence among Christians. Like you would think like that you just read the Bible together all the time, but it's actually harder to do that than you think. Because you get things differently, you read at different paces, and you do stuff. I know a lot of couples that actually don't read together, and and because it's just it can be it's a, it's a different exercise when you read with someone because you're reading it, you getting something they ain't read they ain't getting nothing, and then they might be tempted they you get something. They, there's a lot of different crazy things that happen, so I so there's a lot of couples that actually don't. But I think if you're going to, I think I would have questions that you're both going to answer from the passage, okay. So it so like five questions. All right, what do, you, what do you think is, what is hard to believe in this passage? They don't ask these questions like, what does it say about man? What does it say about God? What is it? Those things are like for children. I think you want to be, I mean, you can ask them questions. What does it say about God? What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about, those are helpful, but I remember people used to say those all the time, and I'd be like, man, I'm not worried about them questions right now. So to me, it was more like, okay, what, is, what, what do I struggle with the most about this passage? Okay, if nothing, what do I think is the, the most amazing thing about this passage? That's another question. Another question would be what am I supposed to do in light of this passage? That's another question. So you see, I would, I would come up with like four or five questions and you read together and then you, and you might have different answers and that's okay. The goal of meditating and reading together is not that you get the same thing. Especially if it's your spouse because you're going to be different. So my wife might get something different and I want to learn from her because she's a suitable helper. I might be totally different than what I'm getting, but I don't want to dismiss. And in the past, I used to, man, I just was self-righteous, and I would dismiss what my wife was getting, because I'd be like, what are you talking about? Look at, read this. Because I was like thinking, you've got to see what I'm seeing. It's like, no, nah, what are you seeing, babe? What are you getting from this? What are you getting? And let me, let me see this. So I'd have questions that you both answer of the same passage, and then think about your answers, and think about what, and then, and then that's what I would do
1: thank you um are there ways uh we should be helping each other out in in our church community to stay in the word
0: well we're going to talk about this in january so digital kingdom you know we're going to get, we're going to talk about how we really really want to apply this uh at a meeting in january so yes yes there are uh, and we're going to talk about this in january cuz i think this is something that we need to to really focus on as believers but but yeah, but I think some of it some of it is, you know, your D groups apart from reading, you know, love your enemies, you pretty much can do what you want in your D groups. Like Mike and I usually don't tell the D group leaders what they got to do. Only through that book because we want that everyone there are moments where we want everyone on the same page. But for the most part, so you guys can can commit to, you know, let's go through this book of the Bible together. Pick a Bible study that's reputable reputable and if you're not sure ask us excuse me i'm sorry for that ask us because we don't want you to read no you know no creflo dollar bible study i'm sorry that ain't happening you're not reading no Benny Hinn bible study around here or if you do we don't acknowledge that Yep, i'm saying a couple of names come holler at me i want all that smoke so i'm saying you know you we, you, you know you can do that but i think we should we should you know so the, let me tell you what legalism is. Let me th- I need to say something because we think about legalism. Let me tell you what legalism is. The biblical perspective on legalism is earning your salvation, right? That's kind of what it is. We've made things legalistic that aren't legalistic. So let me give you an example. When I used to be in discipleship groups at Covenant Life, the pastor, we do these groups every two, two, two times a month, two Saturdays. I've called them Jonah group in my He used to ask every time, how many, how long the last two weeks? He'd ask, how many times did you read the Bible and how long did you read? He'd do that. He'd check with every one of us. And I remember someone be like, man, that's legalism. Listen, that ain't legalism. Legalism is do I think I'm earning my salvation by doing this? That's legalism. We've confused legalism with just maybe faithful and disciplined concern. So if I need to make a list to remind me or if I want to ask, if I want to check in on how you guys are doing reading over two weeks, that ain't legalism. If you think that's legalism, it might be because you don't feel like reading. You don't want nobody to hold you accountable to doing it. That's not legalism. That's selfish ambition. Legalism is when I think I'm earning my salvation. Legalism isn't checking in on how, long, how much have you read and maybe saying, how come you haven't been reading? I think we, could, I think we need to just be like, hey, how, how's your reading been going? Instead of just being like, man, how's it going? That's too general. Oh, man, you know, it's been a crazy week. Man, how, how have you been reading? Because a lot of how you're going to process your week is how you process what God's word is saying. Because remember, God sanctifies us by his word, not by our circumstances. It's not just, oh man, it's been a tough week, I had this happen and this happened." What does God's word say about what happened or what is it calling you to do? That's what sanctifies you. It's not just that I can't find a PS5. It's what does God's word say about complaining? What does God's word say about sinful judgment? What does God's word say? You know, that's what sanctifies me. It's not that I can't find no PS5 for my boys. That's what I mean. So, again, I think we need to. So our church is, is a wonderful church. And I, I don't think I, I don't think. That, and I'm saying this genuinely. And I think I can speak for my. I don't think there's any other place I'd rather pastor, even though it feels different because we haven't been around each other since March. Like, I really love who Solid Rock is and what Solid Rock does. I love our church, but our church is, it's incredible. Like, I'm still blown away, because I should be in prison still, to be honest, or should have just gotten out not too long ago and technically wouldn't have been here because my life would be totally different. So I really don't deserve to be sitting in this chair and being your pastor, and I say that, I take that very seriously, and I'm very sober to be, me and Mike are sober to be the first black pastors in a church that started because of racial segregation. This church started because it wanted black people to be able to come, and now this church has two black elders that that lead it. We take that very seriously. Having said that, there are things that our church doesn't take seriously that concern us, and one of those is the discipline of reading God's word individually and together and the discipline of correcting things that we see in other people. We don't take that serious enough, and that's a real problem, and I'm not going to get into that now. We can talk about that later as we talk about Digital Kingdom again in January. But but I think I think that's a problem. I think we should, like what's important to you, you do, right? So I think we should have everyone who's reading the Word should should want to grow from how others are reading the Word, stuff like that. But again, that's a long answer. We'll come back to that So
1: I, I know you just said that the answer was long, uh, but I, I would just want to add something to that Please. as well. Um, I think also, um, you know, along with asking people, you know, how... God is speaking to them through the word, just sharing how God is speaking to you from the word can also help us to encourage one another. Because, you know, Romans talks about us being mutually encouraged by one another's faith. So I think sharing things that God is showing you can also um, motivate other people. Because, you know, one of the the dynamics that we have as a church is that um, there's no respect of persons. You know, nobody, no big big eyes a little used around here and so if God can show me something from his word surely he can show you as well um, or if God can show them something from his word surely he can show me as well so I think we can also proactively just share what God is speaking and speaking to us and showing us from 100. his word
0: ourselves and we sh- and I think we should and that's and that's what I mean like that's the natural, like, if you always come to D group with a heavy burden and they spend the whole time talking about your burden, like, where's your Bible? How does your Bible, how, how is your Bible helping your burden? Like, but again, I think if we don't see it like that, then it's not, then of course we're not going to talk about it like that. So with these seven attributes, please take these seriously. Like, pick one and say, this is what I'm going after. Or pick two, whatever. But like, it, like I said, it, we may not be able to do all of them and live all of them fully. And, and we don't, and if we don't, well, Jesus did. So praise God that we're in Christ. We have his righteousness. And so that's true. But we sh- we should be pursuing at least one of these consistently. Mm-hmm.
1: So this <clears throat> th- there's a observation stated and then a a, a few questions that are all related. Uh, so this person has grown up hearing people say that all that it takes in some tough situations is to quote a bible verse um i don't think they grew up here but because um, <laughs> we don't say that but mm-hmm. but anyway um they know from it, from their own experience and from hearing the experience of others that that doesn't always help so it seems to the person that that uh that is more um, in the belief behind what you quote and the conviction of it rather than the action of just saying it so their questions are is there more than just spouting, in in light of what was just described, is there more uh, than just spouting off a verse? Um, Is, you know, what role does heart posture um, play and what role does motive play in terms of applying scripture to situations?
0: So the short answer would be, listen to last week's and this week's message again. The short answer, like I... I'm, I'm encouraged by the question, but I'm also like, mm. I mean, I kind of said that throughout the message. Like there's a heart posture that we that we have to have. So it's not just it is believing like the quoting of Scripture. So the assumption that you're using Scripture is that you believe in its in its power. So you look at you look at Second Peter one, right? Second Peter one, verses three and four. Where Peter's basically saying that God is you no, know let's let's read it. I'm gonna read it because sometimes I quote them and then I feel like it's showing off. So let me just—I want let's let's read it together. Go to Second Peter one, if you can. If you can, Mike, put that on on the screen, because I know people's thumbs have been lazy. They've been they've been getting they've been getting treated real red carpet for. They only got to open the Bible. they just right there. Second Peter one verses three and four. Let's let's read this together. Actually, let's start at verse one. Let's read one through four together. So here's what he says. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours, that's important, right? Mm-hmm. Peter doesn't say, a but with, Lord, it's equal to ours. So you got the same, we got the same faith as the apostles. Right. Equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, so listen to that. Grace and peace multiply to you through what? The knowledge not the experience not the Holy Spirit making you feel something but the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord now to make sure that we know where the knowledge comes from here's what he says in verses 3 and 4 this is what he said his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness all right so God's divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. How do we get that knowledge? He's going to tell us in a second. The knowledge is information, right? That's what information is. Knowledge is information. So through the information of Jesus, who called us by his own glory and and, and goodness. Listen to verse four. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, those promises, You may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So here's what he's saying. God's divine power has given us everything we need through life and godliness through very great and precious promises that are in your Bible, that are in our Bible. That's the knowledge we get from Jesus. And that by that, through those promises and through our belief in those promises, we share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So here's the thing. The Bible has a high view of the Bible. And I think the, and then, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. One of my favorite verses. Let's go back down. Still in, I'm sorry, i got to say one more th- I'm going to read it. You've heard me quote it before. Let's go down to verse 9. Verse 8. Listen to what he says here. So in verse 5 through 7, he lists all these qualities that every Christian should grow in. And then he says this in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says this in verse 9. The person who lacks these things, the qualities, these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. So The Bible's perspective is that the Bible gives us everything we need because God's divine power allowed the Bible to be established with great and precious promises that tell us about Jesus, that we believe, that help us grow in particular qualities that will make us fruitful for the kingdom. And then when we're not growing, it's because we've forgotten that we've been saved and cleansed from those sins so that we have to remember then that we have power over those sins based on our faith and belief in the word of God. That's that's I'm saying a lot to say this. Yes, it's not just quoting this. It is believing it is believing we should believe what we quote, but believing doesn't come with ease and without fight. So it's not like so yeah, just quoting a passage doesn't take away how I feel. That's not the point of the Bible. That makes the Bible medicinal. So the Bible is not always going to change how I feel, but it can change how I think and where I put my emphasis. That's what the Bible is supposed to do. I need to be reminded of truth because right now this, this situation is affecting me and it's knocking me off of the truth r- rather than more. So I need to I need to I need scripture to remind me of where I'm supposed to be. So, yeah, definitely. It's not going to just change how you feel sometimes. It definitely is not going to just change your circumstances. But the point of scripture is that it changes you. It changes my mentality. I need to renew my mind. Right. That's what I'm. So yeah, I do need to believe. I want to renew my mind because the Bible has a high view of the Bible, and my goal is to try to have as high a view of the Bible as the Bible has of itself. That's part of the goal of the Christian So, If that doesn't answer your question, then, then that's it. All right. Man, you guys are gangsters. I look forward to seeing you. On, I hope I see more faces on Wednesday. I know people's hearts are hard, so they're just not, not going to do it just to not do it. That's just how it is. You know how people are. You tell people go left, they're gonna go right just because you said go left. Jesus said a prophet's not a prophet in his own hometown. So I get it. But I would love to see more faces. As a matter of fact, a lollipop for everybody who shows their face. And if you don't like sweets, if you can't eat candy, then an apple. That'd be good. Actually, unless you were from my old neighborhood. They used to put toothpicks and raisins and apples. That's probably not helpful right now to end the message. We're ending on a high note. All right. We will see you next Wednesday. Listen. Think of one of these seven attributes. Don't be discouraged. Just pick one and say, this is what I want to commit to. And then on Wednesday, let's talk a little bit about it. What attribute do you feel like you want to grow in? What attribute do you want to pursue? And you don't got to be embarrassed. Listen, you're around a bunch of people who need to grow in a bunch of things. We're We're all together. We're all in the same gang in that sense. All right? Love you guys. We'll see you on Wednesday night for one another, for his glory and our good. See you then.